Thank you, Natalie. I was thinking of uh, a friend, a neighbor I used to have when we lived in Holland, Michigan. This was a number of years ago. and He was such a unique guy. He was a physician. His name was Kurt, Dr. Kurt. And, and uh, we used to have all sorts of, of good, interesting conversations. Uh, he would go to... Uh, some of you might remember Mars Hill and Rob Bell. It was the fastest growing church in the United States for a while, and he would drive half hour, 40 minutes to go to Grand Rapids and go to that. And yet he had more issues with Rob Bell than anyone I knew, even though he was his pastor. You remember that book, uh, Velvet Elvis? He's like, Eric, would you read that book? Because I'm wrestling with some stuff. And so read it, and we talked about it, and, and processed that. We used to uh, play bas- basketball together as neighborhood uh, neighbors and so forth. And, and then one day we were talking, and he's like, I have issues with Disney. I'm like, Kurt, come on. Rob Bell is one thing, but Disney, really? Now, this was before all the, um, all the political stuff that Disney has done lately. But he was saying, yeah, here's my, here's my issue. He said, it's always got to be good and evil. Or always he had a couple of daughters that were young, and he's always this battle. And I was like, well, well Kurt, isn't that just good storytelling? Right? I mean, I, if there's no antagonist, there's going to be no protagonist. If there's right, no tension or struggle, what, where's the story going to be? Yeah, yeah. And I get what he was saying. He, did, he just wanted peace and, and safety and kindness and love for his daughters. Right? But unfortunately, the world isn't that way. I said, Kurt, the, I, I think it is a reflection of how we live and the tension that we live in today. That I get that, yes, there's this, this idea of our longing for heaven. And, and Christ came and, and allows us to enter his real presence. To enter eternity and begin living today eternal life. That's a huge part of the good news of Jesus Christ. Is, is that he didn't come simply after we die to enter eternity, that right now we get to live kingdom life. We, we get new creation now. And yet as you reflect on Paul's words in particular, but also Jesus' words in particular, there's a not yet peace of the kingdom of God. That we are not in heaven fully and completely. Someday Christ will return or will go and be with him and he will consummate his kingdom. But today there is still evil in the world, yes? There is still demonic activity. There there is still suffering and and difficulty and, and there's still cancer. There's still this struggle that we are locked in that if we are not mindful of that struggle, it sets us up, I would say, and argue in a very dangerous place. And what Paul is doing in this chapter is he's talking about this 
conflict. Chapter 5 in Galatians, if you turn, uh, uh, open that. I was talking with someone else about their discouragement of church and their hurt of church. And I'd say, do you know why there's church uh, sin in the church of Jesus Christ? Because there's people in it. And there's conflict within persons that we struggle. I mean, every tear of society has this conflict within it. Wherever there are people, this conflict exists. And what's so beautiful about sometimes the, the issues that the Apostle Paul faced, like in the book of Galatians, right, that he then speaks into these issues for us to help us to live within this already but not yet, within this conflict, within this struggle. For some reason, I'm not quite sure I'm going to chalk it up to the Holy Spirit. It might not be. But I got this idea of apples. All right? What, he, what Paul's going to do in this chapter is he's going to use this idea of contrasts. And contrasts can be very powerful right, to help us understand some principles more deeply. So if I had an apple and I held a red piece of paper behind it, it would be hard, right, to see all of the details or even the outline of the apple, especially if the red piece of paper was the exact color red of the apple, right? What would happen if I held a white piece of paper behind that? Well... Right? You see the apple more clearly. So as we read chapter 5, we're going to read it in three sections. As we read chapter 5, I want you to be mindful of what the apples, there's going to be three apples in there, and there's going to be three white pieces of paper that are contrasts to help you understand the design of the apples. Make sense? All right, maybe that was only good for a handful of you, but okay. All right, chapter 5, Paul, what he's going to do, is to give you a little advance notice, he's going to take one more swing at the premise of the book, which is it's salvation by God's grace. Our only response is faith, and even faith is from him. No one can boast. You can't add anything to salvation. We can't work and earn. We can't add anything. We just have to say, thank you, Lord, and then live from a place of love and thanksgiving. It's the premise of the book. And then he's going to have a verse that in terms of his enemies, there's a, a, a mic drop, which you could end the book. But then he's going to go on and talk about how do we live if we don't have Old Testament rules, 
certain laws, or at least not in the way the Pharisees were living them out, then how do we do this life? How do we live in this conflict? So let's read first part. I'm going to start at chapter uh, 5, verse 1. We read it last week. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Not to be overly personal, but men, could you just raise your hand if you've been circumcised? No takers, huh? Apparently, you want Christ to have value to your life, yes? Yes, just reiterating the importance of context, right? Context, context, context. If you are being circumcised as a way of earning God's favor, of of doing extra, helping God with your own salvation, helping God with your life, well, you're missing the gospel, right? In fact, in another place in scripture, he has Timothy get circumcised. Why? That was for evangelistic purposes, right? So again, context is so important. He's saying if you're trying to do things or add things to your salvation, men or women, You're missing the gospel. Don't do that. All right. Verse 4, you are trying to be justified by the law. You who who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. This is why Paul is still really upset that the gospel of grace through faith would be compromised. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. We live into Christ's righteousness today and wait and hope for upon his return fully and completely. We walk in his righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressed, expressing itself through love. If you've got your own Bibles, you've got a highlighter or underline, underline that faith expressing itself through love, right? And it's interesting that he says it has no values. I am convinced that Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is so valuable that it makes everything else in this world pale in comparison. And the value of everything else, the things that we typically give value to, dramatically reduces. Say Jesus is the center. Jesus is the most valuable aspect of our lives. And then he gets a little personal. You were running a good race. 
Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. He's talking about the Lord here. And he's saying, this is not God's voice. Use discernment of what is from the one who calls you and what is not. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Of course, using a metaphor, an analogy here, that, that poison of teaching can affect your entire life and affect an entire congregation. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, now he's talking about his enemies, whoever that may be will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, which maybe that was also part of the lie, well, Paul just didn't get to that part. He's preaching circumcision. Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Did you know the cross of Jesus Christ is offensive? Why is it offensive? It says you can't do anything about your own sin. You can't rectify the struggle that you're having. You've got the first part of the gospel is a humble recognition that it's only by the grace of God that you can receive eternal life. Verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Mic drop right there, <laughs> right? Did you get that? Tie it with circumcision and emasculation. I'm not going to go into an illustration, all right? It's Paul's final. We, we hear his passion. We hear his concern that the Galatians get this gospel. All right, let's pause right there for a moment. Did you recognize... The apple and the sheet of white paper, I would say it is the one that he has been talking about the entirety of the book of Galatians. Verse 13, I asked you to highlight that. Again, he says, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Really, he's been moving to this place of faith expressing itself through love. He's saying that's what matters. Maybe perhaps another contrast. The, the contrast here is salvation by works and earning and salvation by faith. It's really that simple. He states that in another place, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and maybe this word would be helpful to you. Salvation is about reception, not earning. Most of life, we think and come from a place where we got to earn our lunch. We got to get it done. We, we get what we work hard for. 
Paul says you have to understand you're no good. It's not going to work. It's got to be the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the reception part. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Friends, I would argue that Paul continues to, to state that the, it, you can't, this, this is rooted in pride. This is rooted in we want to be independent. This is rooted in we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We want to do it. It's offensive to think that we can't get it done on our own. And Paul is saying, don't you realize? He doesn't use the word suck, but I use the word suck. No, you can't. That, that the fall, our rebellion, our, our, our compromised decision has compromised every aspect of our lives. We are all prodigals. We have all turned away from God. One of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, he was talking about the prodigal in his book, Return Prodigal. And he said, Our addictions make us cling to what the world proclaims as the keys to self-fulfillment. Here's what the world says. Accumulation of wealth and power, attainment of status and admiration, lavish consumption of food and drink, and sexual gratification without distinguishing between lust and love, the addicted life can aptly be designated a life lived in a distant country. He's talking about the prodigal. And if you're unfamiliar with the prodigal son parable, it's where the son before the dad dies, he says, Dad, I want my share of inheritance. In other words, he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want it now. And he collects the money and goes off and, and blows all his money on wild living. And Henry Nouwen says, Beneath it all is the great rebellion, the unspoken curse. Quote, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead, Father. I want to do it on my own. I want to live it my way. Paul, in his essence, has been saying, don't you get it? As prodigals, we have to come to our senses and throw ourselves at the mercy of the Father. And yet the good news is that the Father is, is watching from a far distance. He's waiting. And as Psalm 23 talks about, as we sing, he's pursuing us. His, his love is after us. He's waiting for us to look up from our pig pen and say, you know, I think the hired hands are doing better than I am in my father's house. Maybe 
He'll take me back. Maybe if I, if I just repent just right, he'll let me return. And I don't have to return as a son. I know I've, I, I've blown that. I can return just as a servant. And as the parable goes, Jesus teaches that the father doesn't even let the prodigal son get through his beautifully composed sentence of repentance. And he just says, kill the fattened calf. Let's celebrate. All the prodigal could do was receive the grace of God. Say, okay, God, Father, you don't have to throw a big party. I know I messed up. I know I'm done. It's a place of humility. And God says, no, I love you. Just receive my love through faith. Again, this final message, this, this beauty and this brilliance. And then from that place, we express our faith with love. Would you also think about obedience that flows from love? Jesus says these words again, just reiterating some of the territory that we've been in. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now our lives, our good works for which we've been created for, isn't about earning, isn't about obligation. It's about living in response to God's love. We are compelled by God's love. All right. Let's pick it up, verse 13. And I want you to recognize this, that part of what the Galatians were doing is they were trying to figure out how they live in this conflict. How do you, do you walk in holiness? How do you walk in righteousness? I mean, wouldn't it be easier if we kept the long list of do's and don'ts from the Old Testament and just followed it, right? Wouldn't that help us resolve this, this conflict of sin within? And Paul says, you're not good enough for that. You're not good enough for that. But instead of following the rules, I'm going to give you the author of the rules. And the author of, of what leads to righteousness and holiness, I'm going to let him live inside of you and disciple you and teach you how to live. It's way better. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom 
to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbors as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out and you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict. He's speaking directly about this conflict that is within us, and is in the world, so that you are not to do whatever you want, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. All right, second apple here. Look at verse 13. Again, another really good verse to highlight. He says, "Um, But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The apple is this idea of serving. We are experiencing the freedom of Christ so that we might serve in love. The white piece of paper, the contrast is, so we can do whatever we want in Jesus' name? Woohoo! We're free to sin. We don't have law. He doesn't care if we sin. In fact, in another place, in, in Paul's writings, Romans 6.1, he says, what shall we say then? He's been talking about grace, talking about freedom. Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? He says, no, you idiots. Okay, he doesn't say you idiots. He says, why don't you just emasculate yourself? No, he doesn't say it there, but he does say that here in Galatians, right? No, he's saying, no. He says, you're missing the whole point. He's saying, you have been freed. Remember this idea of from and for. We've been freed from the power of sin. We've been freed from the law. We've been freed by by following, the crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Now, what are you going to use that freedom for? Whatever we want? No. No. Another way to think about this is, remember, we talked about the 613 laws in the Old Testament. I would argue that there is an incredible simplicity of God's law that we learn. Right? He says, what's that simplicity? Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says it another way, Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. He's saying there's a simplicity there that all the law fl- flows from that. And now you have the author of all the laws of the Old Testament. You have the author of all of Scripture residing in you. He's breaking the the bondage of past sin. He's breaking the bondage 
of all the Old Testament laws. He's breaking the bondage of of you earning favor with God, which you can't do to begin with. He is freeing you not to indulge in sin, but live simply that life of love. Have you ever been in a circumstance when you're wondering about what the right thing is to do? And then you put yourself in the other person's shoes and it's going to negatively affect them? And you go, gosh, if I was in, in Scott's shoes, I wouldn't want me to do what I'm about to do. That's an indication of what the Holy Spirit is discipling us. He's saying, would you just simply be led by that? But it's worse. It doesn't mean there's never tough love. If I'm caught in a sin, right, would I want Scott to confront me in that sin? My flesh, I wouldn't want him to. But my spirit, yes, to make it right. That I get to ask that question, Holy Spirit, would I want Scott to do what I'm about to do? In his flesh, maybe no. In his spirit, yes. He's saying it's that simple. Right? He's saying, yes, there's conflict. Yes, we're wrestling. Yes, we're struggling. And yet, the new covenant is such a beautiful picture of the author of the law of God dwelling within us. And we get to have that conversation with the Holy Spirit and how we should live. Um, the other thing I would say is, that think about this word desire, which I think is interesting. That I, most of my Christian life, I would say, I was taught that emotions are dangerous, that they can lead you astray, that you're mostly to suppress emotions or feelings or desire. And yet there is a positive way in which Scripture speaks of those desires. In fact, here's one example. It says uh, from Psalm, Psalm 34, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? It means that God cares about our desires. It means that God in some instances, has placed those desires in our hearts. Friends, I would say this is part of what the freedom of Christ is. Right? It's not denying the good things of life in the name of Christ. It's denying the broken things of Christ. That's what it means to to pick up your cross daily, is that there's a brokenness, there's a a sin in us. We're about to read a real nasty list of sin. And he's saying that is about what you want to pick up your cross and, and, and crucify on the cross. And yet, he's saying, I've placed love in you. 
I've placed godly desires. If I can just share personally, but generally for a moment, one of the uh, things I was doing, the assignment for class, asked us to incorporate spiritual disciplines on a daily basis. And I've been incorporating confession on a daily basis for a while. It's not the lightest and fluffiest of spiritual disciplines, right? I've been confessing on a regular basis. And uh, one of the things, I'm not going to list all my sins to you, right? But I still have to confess lust from time to time. And I was praying about that. And what I felt like the Spirit was saying is that, do you know that lust is rooted in a God-given desire for love and intimacy? That he wants me to live a life of love. Not a life of lust, right? So when I was confessing that, then I started to pray for that greater intimacy, especially with Kendra, of course, my wife, but also intimacy with others, some sacred friends, right? That I would walk in in intimacy. I think he's built in us to have sacred friendships. He's built in us to live a life of love. And so as I confessed that brokenness, he began to speak to me of the deep desire that he's placed in my life to walk in healthy, godly, intimate relationships with him. And as I grow in that in relationships of intimacy, not just with Kindra, but with others, do you know I've noticed that my struggle with lust slowly, consistently, surely is disempowered? Because I'm living that God-given desire of an intimate relationship. So as I've been confessing other sins, which that's the only one I'm going to go into. As I've been asking, what's the root desire? Is that from God? I think sometimes I'm convinced, sometimes sin is just from our own brokenness. We just have to repent of it. But sometimes it comes from a godly desire and the Spirit wants to disciple us in that. Yes? Okay. Third apple. Let's read the rest. Where do we leave off? Oh, yes, the the beautiful list that starts at verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, 
fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a nasty list, yes? I think there's tremendous health in, in reading lists, or lists Jesus gives hard lists of saying, Lord, am I, am I compromising in any way? Is there confession Oftentimes when we take communion, I'm inviting you to say, is there a way that I, my life is, is turning away from you? And the good news of Jesus Christ is because of his forgiveness and because of his um, new life for us, he allows us to be real about our sin. We get to confess it and repent of it and receive his spirit, that's what's coming, to replace that brokenness and begin to transform our desires, our wants, in good ways. Um, let's keep going. Let's get to the good part. But the fruit of the spirit now, now keep this in mind. I want you to hear this in light of the whole book of the book of Galatians. Right, his main nemesis, nemesis are saying, "Well, what about from a good way? I mean, what about we need to be live in righteousness? We we need to walk in a way that honors God. That's why we're getting people circumcised. That's why we're we're embracing again the food laws and the, the holy days. And Paul is saying, no. He said that way. It, you, you just can't do it. Our flesh gets in the way. Sin gets in the way. It's not going to work. I did it better than all of you. And I still failed. Here's what you do. Here's how you live. It's by the Spirit of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Any desire that is not of God, we, we crucify it. We, we pick up our cross daily. Just read a quote by Dallas Willard. He said, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we didn't have to. He embraced the cross so that we might embrace it with him. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other at the end of the day this is about relationships and how we love one another and if we live a life of rule keeping for ourselves then our relationships are going to be rule keeping for others right 
Hey, don't do this, this, and this. Hey, you did that. And it's a life lived by man-created rules. And he says, but you're going to bite and devour each other. It's not going to work. I'm calling you to a life of freedom, not a life that is free to sin and do whatever you want. A life that, that, that recognizes sin within, recognizing where we struggle and how we live, not out of step with Christ. And, and we repent, we're, we're real, we're honest, we confess. Sometimes to the Lord, sometimes to one another. James says, confess your sins to one another. It's appropriate to confess. I've had a number of folks that uh, just lately have, have said, hey, can I confess some things? I've said, yes. Yeah, we're, we're called to confess to one another. So this is not a life of sin. It's not a life of doing whatever we want, but it's a life of freedom. It's a life of the fruit of the Spirit being born in our lives. And it's a beautiful life. Don't let go. Don't get thrown off this track, this race that you are running. And friends, I would argue that for many of us, the Christian faith came off like a race that was run by follow the rules. And you'll be okay. Keep your nose clean. And that's such a shallow version of the gospel. It's such a, a life that, that pales in comparison to what Paul is arguing for and throughout the book of Galatians. So the final apple, which I want you to see as clearly as possible, is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. The contrasting white piece of paper is our flesh. And we have to make a choice. I would highlight verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There is a reason that Jesus uses the language of his spirit as counselor, as guide. That, that the spirit will remind us of his words and of the truth and he will teach us all truth. There's a reason that he says, my sheep will know my voice. There's a reason that he speaks so much about the Holy Spirit. You know, if I was, a, if I was a, an enemy of the church, and I wanted to come against the, the church, I would make discussion of the Holy Spirit outlawed. I would, I would really create fear in the church. I, I would use one side of the church to really live and in the name of the Spirit do wacky stuff. And then the other side of the church be so fearful of that and the bad theology that I'd say, let's just not talk about the third person of the Trinity and make him the least known person of the Trinity. Why would I do this? Because the Spirit is so central to the life that God is calling us. 
The Spirit is the source of salvation. The the Spirit is the source of our new creation lives. The, The Spirit is meant to be the voice in our head that speaks to us about the abundant life, about kingdom life now. He wants to disciple us about God the Father, our Abba Father, about Jesus Christ, and about himself, his work, and how he wants to take the broken desires, the sin in us, and transform them into the good life found in Jesus Christ. Just a few thoughts on that. I would say it begins with discernment. I would say part of spiritual formation and part of of learning and growing and maturing in the faith is discerning the voice of Jesus Christ through his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. Do you know my mom really was this beautiful spirit-filled Christian and I began to learn the voice of the spirit, I would say, through my mom And then my dad had a lot of wisdom. But it was their voices that taught me early, early age, the spirit, the voice of the spirit. And then in college, I picked up scripture. And I began reading it every day. And he taught me his voice. And now, I would say, something like a song that's singing, Psalm 23 you begin to recognize his voice as you read scripture. And the second thing I would say is he's really, verse 25, is talking about that daily experience. The mind governed by the flesh. This is Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The enemy wants to believe as we grab the things of this world that that's the good life. That that's the right life. Oh, I'm going to grab this. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to cheat on my wife. I'm going to yeah, and that's the good life and it leads to death. The mind governed by the spirit says I recognize that my Abba Father wants good things. He's pursuing me. He doesn't pursue me with his love and then put a straitjacket on me for the rest of my life. No. He's wanting me to live this life of love, of freedom, of goodness. And he places his very spirit within us so that we might discern and live, or as he says, keep in step with his spirit. I want to invite the worship team forward, Jedediah. If you'd close your eyes and just think about those 
three truths, or I, I called them apples. And is that still for you? You're trying to earn or get to God by your own good decisions or right actions. And you have to, in humility, embrace yet again, you're not good enough. No matter what you do, will earn a greater love by God. Would you bring that to prayer to God? Is that idea of freedom, is that what you want to grow in living the freedom of Christ? To enjoy life to enjoy this incredible, great, big world that God has created. To live with joy, to live with love. Is that how you would pray? Or you just need to get to know the third person of the Trinity to recognize his voice and teach you about that. Friday night for Alpha, we got to just pray for one another for a fresh infilling of the Spirit. It was a beautiful night. What would he have you talk to him about this morning?